Welcome to Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast, and speaking of music, that song that played me in is called Table. It is by Frankie Cosmos. It is from the album The Eleventh Hour, Songs for Climate Justice, and that is out on Sub Pop Records. 100% of the proceeds of that album go to the Climate Emergency Fund, and that was an album I produced with Adam McKay and... God damn it, I'm proud of it. And I'm very proud that Frankie Cosmos has a song on the album. Greta Klein is the guest today. They also, Frankie Cosmos, has a new album out. It's been out for about two weeks now called Inner World Peace. Also out on Sub Pop Records. Boy, oh boy, Sub Pop. Just putting out the good stuff. Uh, I had a really great conversation with Greta Klein. I really, really greatly appreciate not only her putting a song on this great compilation album but her music in general and we just had we had one of those conversations that quite literally I've been thinking about for uh ever since and emailed her a couple times and was like you know what else I think about this so I feel like when I have one of those conversations where I can't get it out of my head and I'm thinking about it and and it's provoked much thought that's a good sign that it was a great conversation. And I think that'll do the same for you, perhaps. And what's also, there is a part two to this episode. It lives on my Patreon. So if you become a Patreonic subscriber at themattdwyer.com or conversationswithdwyer.com, you can listen to the part two and many part twos. Um, and that is link is in my show notes. Also, the link's in my show notes for the new Frankie Cosmos album. Inner World Peace, Sub Hop Records uh, link, and where you can buy the 11th Hour compilation, uh, which I mentioned 100% of the proceeds, go to the Climate Emergency Fund. And it's, we got a, the UN recently just said that we are probably going to hit the breaking point unless we really, really turn shit around. And uh, I will remain optimistic but skeptical on that. Uh, a couple side notes about this episode. Uh, this episode came out, or, or Greta and I recorded the day the album came out. So we talk about it. Uh, the song that she put on the album is really great, by the way. I'll say that again. We t- get into the details about the song. I won't share it here. That would be wasting your time. Also, uh, I realized midway through the episode... I was getting a cold, and you can hear it. So enjoy the process of hearing my cold take hold of my body. It's a special moment, one I'm glad we could share together. Me getting stuffy and sounding funny, which I still kind of have. And I had this cough uh, that would just suddenly come and be really loud and abrupt, and my daughter, who's two and a half, would be utterly horrified and look at me like I hurt her, like I yelled at her, and she would try not to cry, and then she would cry, and I couldn't, she wouldn't have anything to do with me. So it was a very, <laughs> on top of having a cold, it was an emotionally challenging cold. But, and that's, uh, I don't know, it was really, it just made me feel hopeless and awful. Um, once again, my guest today is Greta Klein from Frankie Cosmos. They have a song on the 11th Hour compilation, which I'll proceeds go to the climate emergency fund there's also a link for the climate emergency fund in the show notes 
as well to all the things that are Frankie Cosmos. Lots of great stuff on their Bandcamp. That's in the show notes. Also, if you need a website, you could go to thekellyrdewire.com. Get a website. She does mine. She does a lot of big, fancy podcasts. She's a groovy person. And I think that's it. Um, but uh, the next couple of weeks on the podcast, and in general, I'm going to be doing things about Climate Emergency Fund, talking exclusively to artists who submitted or are a part of the album, as well as I'm going to talk to the uh, the head of the Climate Emergency Fund, Margaret Solomon Klein or Klein Solomon. I think I mixed one of those up. Either way, a couple of weeks from now, I'm going to talk to her as well. Can you hear me? <laughs> Breathing? Still funny? Okay, I'm going to get... Please enjoy my conversation with Greta Klein from Frankie Cosmos. You know what's amazing to me, Greta, whose name I like, that's one of my favorite names, <laughs> is that uh, uh, your song is uh, on the album is a demo, which I don't think, I think it was a demo, right? But your demos are so goddamn good, it can go right onto an album. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I just today, as I was like, posting about it was wanting to say something about that because I'm really trying to um, like, instead of calling it a demo, just be like, this is a song that I uh, wrote, engineered, mixed, produced, etc. Like <laughs> with my little setup, it's like, that's what, you know, that's what a confident person might do. They might just say, here's a song I produced um, and not call it a demo. Like there's something I'm trying to figure out like what, what it is that makes something, uh, you know, finished or like a demo or not. So I think, uh, it's nice to have, it was really nice to, um, to like have when Nick wrote back and like, Oh yeah, no, this is totally good quality for the, for the thing. And I was like, okay, great. <laughs> yeah. He sent it to me and I was like, I don't, doesn't, I, I, I don't know. Like it doesn't sound like a demo to me. And even if it, like, I like when something's a little banged up and loose, not, yeah. that it, not that that song is. I'm not saying that about your song. No, but it is like, you know, homemade. Yeah. But yeah. when you say a confident person, is that... Some... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm the kind of guy that apologizes constantly. And I, even when I do something great, I'm like, well, it's, uh, uh, like that's just my internal monologue is mumbling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you in that same boat a bit? Yeah. You know, I think I've gotten better at it. I think it's, it's a, it's a lifelong process, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, I'm always really afraid. I think my like deep fear is that, you know, everyone is like aware that it's, everyone like thinks it's less good than I think it is or something. And so I want to like, like get there first by being like, it's just a demo or whatever, you know? Um, so I kind of like, think it would be cool to just, to just not care and just say that it's a song. (laughs) Yeah. All the 
sort of teachers and mentors or artists I appreciate have that fuck it attitude. And like, I'm like, how do you get there? (laughs) Is it, is it the drugs my mentors used? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe, maybe they just don't have anxiety. Like that would be cool. Yeah. Do you, can you pinpoint why that exists within you or is it just something, is it just New York city? I don't know. I don't know. I think, yeah, I don't know what it is. I mean, I have an older brother. Maybe that's part of it is like, yeah, you know, um, I feel like I'm the last, I'm like the last, you know, tail end of the millennial generation who like had that thing of you have to know about stuff and you have to like, you know, you're gonna get quizzed. I'm like, oh, you like that band? What's name three songs? That kind of thing. And like Gen Z doesn't have that. They just, um, they're like, cool, I'll check it out. Cause there's like so much for them to, there's no way they would know everything. And, uh, there's just kind of a, a fear of constant fear of being quizzed or being questioned or something that comes from, I don't know, having like a cool older brother that <laughs> maybe, yeah. I don't know. That's interesting. I never thought about that with like a generationally of like, because of the internet, you feel a pressure to know things because yeah. I grew up without the internet and I still felt that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, no, I think, I think the internet's made it like better because now Gen Z has got the phone in their pocket. They're just like, cool. I'll, I'll look it up right now. Now I know it. You can't like make fun of them for not knowing it. Cause they'll just look it up and then they'll know it. Yeah. That's weird. Um, and it's weird yeah. to me to to make someone feel bad about not knowing something, especially like when I was young, like to be one of the cool kids, like if you didn't know this band. But I'm like, you're kind of squashing curiosity, which is a bad thing to do. Totally. Yeah. I've always wanted to do like some kind of like, and I don't know, I don't, I don't work in this field, so I don't know why I've just wanted <laughs> to do this, but like, like, a, like a poster campaign for like, like middle schools or like lower schools that says like, it's cool to be wrong or something. Yeah. Like trying to teach kids that it's like, it's cool to be wrong. And then it's like, because it means you get to like learn something <laughs> and yeah. then you don't end up with people that are like so afraid of being wrong that they just like stamp their feet and become evil. Yeah. My youth. And then I started hanging around a theater where everybody was curious and I guess sort of encouraged that, but like to not, and then you would ask everybody, the three questions everybody asked each other when we bumped into one another was like, what are you listening to? What are you reading? And what movies have you seen? And so it always like initiated some kind of dialogue and it was okay not to know. Yeah. I mean, of course, like there's so much stuff out there. How it would be so crazy to know everything. It's impossible. Yeah. Maybe the so, Buddha. Yeah. But I don't think the Buddha knows either. There's too much. <laughs> all the, you know, all the books and all the bands and whatever, you know. Yeah. I don't think the Buddha would know all, all the, I don't think the Buddha would have heard of Frankie Cosmos. You know what I mean? Well, then the Buddha, I don't want anything to do with the goddamn Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> but do you also feel that, like, because when you said brother, I was like, oh, yeah, because I have four older brothers. Oh, wow. Are you the baby? I am. And boy, yeah. did I get the shit kicked out of me. Oh, no. <laughs> Irish working class Catholic family in Chicago. Of course I did. <laughs> uh, no sisters? None. I had a sister-in-law. My brother got married very young. So I had I kind of, and she was actually responsible, I think, for cultivating like my interest in writing and reading, which is 
that's cool. It wasn't common in my my family. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's that's important. You gotta have like one older girl role model, you know, around. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because, and now I'm thinking of this as we say this. Women have often been like the role model, especially creatively, like influencing me my entire life. Now that I think of that. Cool. Because let's be honest, Greta. Yeah. Women are better. Men are fucking awful. (laughs) I know. I know. I wasn't going to say it, but. (laughs) I, as a guy who grew up with, yeah, with four older brothers, I, I saw how, and I have two daughters. So I'm like, you know, I'm. Oh, wow. Now I'm like, when do I have that talk of men are garbage? Like, cause it's inevitable. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah. Four brothers has got to be, got to be tough. One is hard enough, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Do you get along with your brother now? We get along. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What's the age difference? It's only two and a half years. And so he's like 30. Yeah, he's thirty-one. So is Just it thirty-one? Is there still a competitiveness or something? Is that dynamic still exist? No, I think like I did. I think I did a really smart thing by getting into music. I think that was like the one thing that I could kind of beat him at. Interesting. <laughs> um, like he's really, really good at like drawing, and he's a cartoon, you know, cartoonist, and like illustrating, and he's now in the film world. He's like kind of having his having his first like success as a director and um it's all stuff that I just would never I would never touch his interests so um music was the one thing that I was like oh he's like like I actually have the brain for this kind of thing that he doesn't like have as much so um I I leaned into that (laughs) (laughs) was it do you think there was at all a conscious choice of that of like all right fucker i'm gonna show you this oh absolutely well it was more like everything else was just like off the table it was like if i made a drawing he'd be like oh well that stinks you know it was like he was so like kind of well mine is so much better you know it's like i was like okay fine i won't draw i won't draw you know like um as a kid as a little kid and then uh you know we both he actually don't to be fair he like took me or he got me into music he like took me to shows and you know introduced me to like the DIY scene in New York and all the stuff that became very formative for me. And we were like fans of music together, but, um, but you know, there's always that like, uh, quizzing element. (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting. uh, I'm glad you brought up the DIY scene in New York because I believe like the first song you wrote was influenced by Jeffrey Lewis, I believe, or you were, Oh yeah. Who I love. Like I, God damn. I just love Jeffrey Lewis. Yeah, he was a huge, uh, huge reason that I even thought I could, you know, I think music like that, like music that's home recorded and like, you know, to some extent, it makes it seem feel achievable to like write a song. And um, and I absolutely copied like a format of his song, one of his songs for like the first song I ever wrote. Which song was it again? I can't remember. It was uh, back when I was four. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I just stole the, the concept, um, made like my own version i was in like fifth grade <laughs> still that's pretty fuck it plus it's awesome that you're seeing jeffrey lewis in the fifth grade <laughs> yeah i mean that's, that's the influence you know he was like showing me all the cool stuff that was there uh was there other what other music were you seeing in that era of to be fair we didn't i wasn't like seeing him play i was just listening to the cd oh. you know but um 
I guess but, being in clubs at, in the fifth grade would be kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, although the, although we did go that year to um, Cake Shop, which was a Lower East Side club that, that is no longer around, but and saw um, James Kacholka Superstar play. I don't um, know who that is. See, I'm gonna. He, I was. I didn't want to admit that, but be, be <laughs> totally, totally very, very niche. Um, you would probably, you'd probably think it was cool. He's, um, he is a cartoonist mostly. James Kachalka. He like write, you know, writes uh, comic books or graphic novels and stuff. Um, he kind of pioneered like the daily, uh, like journal kind of comic type thing he had this series called american elf that was like he drew himself as an elf and he would just do these like four panel strips of his what something that happened that day you know and he did it for like many many years and put out these huge books of them uh and published them online and i think that like inspired like a lot of um like indie comic people but um he also made music really weird music he was in like a like a really freaky like punk band called like jazz in hell in like the eighties and then James Kachulka superstar and, uh, that, and we live, it's like almost for, it's like not for kids, but it's like almost for kids. Like, cause it's so silly and weird. And my mom took us to go see him at cake shop in when I was in fifth grade. So that's pretty great. Was it a late yeah. show or <clears throat> it was, you know, it was, I was fine. It was, you know, it was probably like 9 PM. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It was a long time ago. <laughs> I just, I can't help but think of like the venues I saw and, you know, in New York, you know, they were always ratty and weird. Uh, it is, it was a little ratty and weird kick shot, but it's, it was cool. It was, that was kind of a, a formative spot for me. Did you, have you, have you ever been there? Or, uh, no, you know? no, no. I don't think, was it actually a shop? Cause I remember. It, they did sell cakes upstairs. <laughs> Cause I remember I saw when I, I think it was before I lived in New York, but there was a venue that was like Arlene's Grocery. Was it Arlene? Oh, sure. It was. It's near there. Yeah. Yeah, I remember going um, to that, but I, I won't. I won't lie to you, Greta. I drank a lot in those oh. days, so everything's blurry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really fine. I, I was younger in New York. It's kind of. Did you live in New York? I did briefly. Oh. I lived in uh, at Lexington on Lexington between or Lexington. 117th between Lexington and 3rd oh, wow. and a little bit in the West Village but that was on a couch so does that count? I don't think so yeah yeah, <laughs> that counts. Um, but yeah Cake Shop was cool they they later became like they, 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 they were a venue that had they had like a basement with like a you know just like a stage and stuff you might like see a lot of pictures of like indie bands from that time on this stage that has like Christmas lights in the background and like that's cake shop yeah that seems um, familiar and jazz the jazz thing jazz health sounded familiar i'll have to look these up jazz no. see i always feel yeah, i think it was jazz in like uh, with an apostrophe like jazzing jazz in hell maybe. oh cool yeah <laughs> i admire <laughs> i envy anyone who grew up in new york musically just because it seems like it was such a great place to grow up to be like in such a thriving i'd like chicago is got a thriving music scene but it just seems like new york is more accessible as a young person yeah i think honestly like i mean chicago has some of this but i think the the public transit was huge like for me in new york yeah a lot of the shitty clubs in chicago that would play the stuff you wanted to see were a little out of the way and 
not the walks were <laughs> the late night yeah. walk was a little bit more uh, questionable. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, uh, you know, I still don't know how to drive to be, to be honest. And I think that is a huge, uh, you know, that's a huge failure of a lot of kids that grow up in New York is like, we just never learned to drive. But I do think like being 14 and being able to get yourself somewhere was like really freeing, um, you know, at that time. <laughs> yeah. That I like, I struggle with that with my kids because I want my kids to have access to that sort of. I want them to be able to just go see something to feed their creativity because I don't. If my kids are accountants, I will disown them. <laughs> How old are your kids now? Two and a half, and one will be seven. You should just stick them on the stick them on a midnight train going anywhere. And see yeah. what happens. No. Midnight train to Georgia. <laughs> just take them around, like uh, you know. I mean, you know, when I was. When I was a kid, my, my mom, you know, was, was really like good about that. She would like take us to, you know, weird, like comic book stuff. We were really into com the comics world before we got into music, you know? So, um, you know, she would just take us to these weird like parties, like indie, indie comic parties at the comic book shop. Like, um, and I don't know, you know, <laughs> your mom seems to be an integral part. I, cause from reading about you and stuff, you mentioned your mother a lot. And especially okay. like her, I, with sort of cultivating your singing, because I think you used to, uh, if I read correctly, because sometimes I read incorrectly, I won't lie to you, Carla. <laughs> it's a Chicago education again. But like you would mask your vocals a lot. if, And then your, I believe your mom was like, just sing like you. Wow, you really, you really did your research. Um that's great. <laughs> um, yeah, she, I used to, I mean, I used to, you know, just, yeah, totally bury my vocals, put like a megaphone effect and kind of like, you couldn't hear any of the words. And my mom was very much like, I remember my mom being like, let me like produce a song for you. And she was like, just, and it, her, her production was just, just don't put that effect on it, you know? Um, and she kind of like weaned me into, uh, into like deciding that, the stuff I was saying could like be have value or something, you know, was there a reason you were masking it? Yeah. I think I just, I mean, I don't know. I was embarrassed. It was like a journal and, uh, it was silly and it was, you know, I don't know. I just think I like, it's hard to go like, yeah, I want, I want like, especially when the only people hearing your music is like your couple of friends and maybe your parents, you don't, and especially because I, you know, living in their house, I, I'm like whispering into the, the, the computer mic, um, <laughs> like just whispers. It's kind of, I think, you know, being quiet and living in New York and in an apartment my whole life is part of my singing style. It's like, that's why I have quote unquote whisper vocals. It's like, because I'm always writing the songs at this level where I'm like singing so quietly. Um, but um you know, cause I don't know. I don't want my parents to hear me like writing some song about some creepy, weird thing going on in my life as a teenager. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's vulnerable to have to sing on its own. Like, cause I've had to do it in stage shows and I fucking suck at it. Thankfully it was like second city. So you didn't really have to be good at it, <laughs> Yeah, but still it's terrifying. And then to layer it on with something personal, 
I don't think people realize that when they go see shows or whatever, how fucking raw you are on stage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's scary. Singing is scary. Um, you know, it's one of those things. I don't know. I just, uh, I just get now. I love it. Now I'm, now I'm not embarrassed at all. Sing nonstop in public. I'm like, totally <laughs> don't care now. <laughs> well, now it's your job. So yeah. Yeah. But even like, you know, I don't know. I used to be like really embarrassed to do like karaoke or something. And now I'm like, yeah, I'll do karaoke. No problem. I'll do it. God, I can't do karaoke if I'm fucking hammered. Like I can't yeah. find the courage and I can't, I don't know. Like, can every, can everybody sing? Cause I can't. No, not everyone can sing. <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> Everyone should sing, but not everybody can sing in a way that sounds nice, obviously. Right. But I do still think everyone should sing. I didn't know. My partner, wife, person told me I sing in the shower, and I didn't realize it until she said it. Really? Yeah. So it's like totally subconscious act. Yeah. And I wish, I mean, I wish I could, you know, fucking belt it out or even Lou read it but I can't. Yeah. Do you know what you're, what you sing in the shower? Like, did she tell you, is it songs that exist? Or are you making them up? Both. I do make up a lot of garble bullshit and I sing to my kids a lot and I'll make up songs to them. And, uh, now they've started to do it. That's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love, I, I think that is like such a pure creative act, like to just make up a song. I think people with pets do it a lot too. Like I, I yeah. Like I'll, I'll sing to like, I was living with cats for a period of time and that weren't mine, but it's just, you have to sing to them. <laughs> I don't know. I feel it. I'm just like, Oh, I have to sing my song right now, you know? And I think that's like really good for you. It's good to like, let go of the, um, like the part of your brain that's like thinking about how someone, how another human's going to perceive you. Yeah. And just three, you know, I've noticed that I will sing through awkward moments like to my it's almost like a comfort like you really fucked up and you shouldn't have done that like that kind of thing yes totally i, I don't Same. know what that means psychologically yeah yeah yeah. No, i totally do that too yeah you're fucking stupid like, that was a common that was a big hit in my head <laughs> yeah yeah no i i totally do that i mean it's a way to to lighten up the extremely harsh negative self-talk right to sing it to yourself yeah I'm an idiot. I did it again. You know, it's, I, I totally, I totally do that same kind of thing. It's just like, it's the, it's the way to talk to you. The only way to talk to yourself. Not to get over psychological about it, but do you think that may have had anything to do with your going into music to just sort of, cause you said, sometimes I don't know what I feel until I write it into a song. I'm paraphrasing, totally. but totally. I found that facet a fascinating concept. Oh yeah, no, it's totally like therapy for me. Um, where, and it's, and like a therapist, it's got a little, you know, notebook and it, it can refer back to it a year later and be like, you said this, remember, <laughs> you know? And then I hear it and I'm like, oh my God, that's what I meant. You know? Um, yeah. A lot of the time when a record first comes out, like we just put this record out last week and it's hard because I get asked about like what stuff's about and sometimes I answer it one way and then like a year, a year from now, I'm going to be, I'm going to be like, Oh no, that was actually about that. I realized now that was about this or whatever. 
do the meetings oh go ahead do oh, the meet- yeah. I did it again <laughs> does a song ever change meaning to you because of like like later because your life experience changes and then you're like oh now this is about that sure yeah um yeah I think also that was something that I used more when I was like touring all the time um because when you're touring nonstop and you don't really have time at home to write new songs um you have to sort of like find a way to take your old songs and give them like new life for yourself like otherwise the performance is going to be like I think like not emotional or something like it's better if I'm thinking about my present if I'm like relating to it in the present um so yeah I think that's like something that I I have learned how to do you know yeah it's I've I've always marveled at like when I and I've never asked this seems like a question I should have asked at some point. But when you're in a somebody sings an emotional song and then you switch gears and like, hey, now it's the rocking song, like I'm like, is that hard to do psychologically and emotionally as a performer? Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's all related to me, like all those feelings, you know. Um but yeah, you know, I I make I make set lists like very intuitively. Um and in the past, I used to just make up the set list while we were on stage and I would be like, "Now I feel like playing this." And I would turn to my band and be like, "Now we're playing this." Um and we didn't have it written down at all. Um and then, you know, my bandmate, my our, particularly our drummer Luke was like, "You got it. We got to start having set lists." A few years ago, he was like, "We it's really not not fun to just shout something out at me haunted. Um, you know, he's like, I, I want to know what's going to happen. So we would, we would, I would make a set list, but I do it in a really like intuitive way. But I saw, um, I saw a band recently that sort of separated the set list in that way. And at the end, you know, towards the end was like, okay, now we're entering the love song portion of the evening. Oh, <laughs> that's like, cool. That's such a cool way to do it. Um, yeah, I thought that was interesting. A friend of mine played with, toured with Cass McCombs for a while and said McCombs or Cass, either one. I don't know why I debated that in my head. <laughs> you're, you're, you go by Dwyer, right? I mean, even my wife calls me and kids will call me Dwyer. Yeah. So, of course, you want to call Cass McCombs. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for <laughs> noticing people call me Dwyer. Well, I, I listened to a few episodes of, this, oh. of your podcast and I loved it. So, oh, I'm a thank fan. you so much that i'm flattered you have no idea but <laughs> Cass won't do i think he's pretty loosey-goosey with set, like my friend said like he would just point to him and be like solo like <laughs> and my f- friend has the chops so he's able to do it but he was like at first i was like what <laughs> like, yeah. oh my god my band would never be down with that we'll hire my friend he lives in new york yeah. <laughs> i mean i don't know that i would want to do that but i do there's certain solos in the evening, you know, that I would d- like decide based on the audience or whatever, if I was going to, oh, this, or if I'm feeling it, you know, um, but I'm going to. You, you switch gears pretty regularly though, right? Like now do you have your set list and you're still switch it up in the middle of it? Not in the, we don't switch it up in the middle of it. There's some, once in a while we'll have a song that's like a question mark on the set list. And it's like, you have to feel the vibe. Um, this, the example I always give is we have an older song called Too Dark and it has these long silent pauses in the in the first like 
four lines of it, uh, or for like four, you know, verses or whatever. And, um, if we're playing to like a particularly rowdy crowd who's talking and noisy and those, I know that those like silent pauses won't be like, uh, you know, won't be like, I don't know, not, I don't want to use the word respected, but like, or they won't be witnessed really. Um, we'll just, I'll just say, we're not going to play that one. Um, but then maybe we'll have another, like a, like a, another question mark song, like, Oh, we'll play an extra rowdy one. Cause it's like, this is a crowd that wants to just like dance or whatever. Um, but yeah, just sometimes it's based on how I'm feeling. I don't know. It's mostly, we mostly just go through and now my drummer just like, we'll just click off the next one. I don't even get to say like, wait, wait, I don't want to play that. <laughs> he just like, he just has the set list now. So he just can't wait to start clicking it off. I was just wondering if he does that because he's like, oh my God, I don't want to just change songs. Let's <laughs> <Completely>. fuck her. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, but it's good. It's good because I have the inclination to just talk for 10 minutes between every song. So I, that's why, that's the real reason we started making set lists is so that Luke could move the set along. <laughs> yeah. Do you, going back to like putting your personal feelings and emotions into songs, have you written songs that you have yet to share because they're so personal or, or other reasons perhaps. Yeah, probably. Um, I also think like if I do share a song that feels really personal or vulnerable, I'll just lie about what it's about. <laughs> I'm doing that for years. Um, <laughs> you know, I will just, just lie to everyone's face. Um, so, you know, <laughs> that makes it easier to be vulnerable. I'll just be like, oh yeah, no, that's not about me. That's about my friend. <laughs> Do you still get nervous to share it even if you don't lie, like with your band and like, or mom? Um, no, not really. I mean, now I just feel like, I think it helps to be kind of, you know, lauded. I'm not going to lie. It helps to be lauded to go like, yeah, okay, here's a, po here's a poem I wrote and I, and it has value and, you know, such and such critical acclaim has led me to feel like that I'm allowed to just write a poem and, it, and not, not, you know, present it like, oh, here's this stupid little thing I made. Because <laughs> um, that is like the attitude I always had. It was always like, oh, here's my dumb little song. I just, it's bad, but here, I'll play it for you. And then, you know, or like get off stage and someone says good set. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Well, like I, I stink, but thank you. Or like I messed up. And then my, you know, I was probably like 19. My mom was like, you have to just start going like, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, and I've just switched into, I've just decided to like be confident. It's like a decision more than a actual feeling. <laughs> yeah. I've wondered how many, cause like you read about early Bob Dylan and the dude is just so fucking confident. And you're like, is this an act? Are you total bullshit? Cause I would yeah. kill to have that. Like, it's insane. It's like insane. Yeah. It's almost like he's a little crazy. He's so confident. And it's like, especially when you've got like nonsense lyrics like him, <laughs> like you, I mean, he's, I think he's a genius, but it's like, you have to go, I'm a genius. If you want someone to hear it and go, Hey, that's genius. Um, you know, some, some line about whatever. I don't even remember El Paso, baby. Like, that's great. <laughs> yeah. It's good, you know? Because um, there's a lot of people in the world who went like, I'm a genius, and it's just like, sorry, pal. 
Well, that's the most embarrassing thing. That's why I'm always afraid to say it because you don't want to say it and have everyone go like, ooh, no, you're not. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm like, I wonder how much of it is to a degree a con and timing. Because I'm sure there's like people like you. I mean, it happens all the time where somebody discovers somebody. I was listening to this show on WWOZ last night and they were playing these like old blues dudes from like the 50s who had like one song or one album and nobody ever heard of them. And you're like, this is fucking amazing. Like, why is this? And one guy was like doing guitar stuff that was like bordering on like fucking Sonic youth punk stuff. And I was like, like, how did these guys go to the side? (laughs) It's like so baffling. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the thing that's, the thing is, is like, music is great right and there's so much there's so many people that are going to be making something amazing and that's why it's like every everyone is just like trying to scream through the void like check my thing out and it's there's so much stuff that gets overlooked you know that deserves so much more um you know acclaim but it's like ideally that that song eventually reaches someone like it reached you even though it was never successful those you know those artists with those one songs or whatever and it's like you get to have a moment with it at least that's you know that's great it would be great if more people could have that moment but it's it's just you know it's hard i think about <laughs> all luck yeah i think about how many novels or screenplays never saw the light of day because of some dipshit executive <laughs> but who was like i don't no one's ready for this and it's like you're wrong you're probably wrong yeah like yeah, no totally i just read a lewis armstrong biography and like the executive didn't want him to do it's a wonderful world like was like threatening not to release it to not even release it that's wild and i'm like and it's like his obviously most and it's just like I just want to go, execs, you don't know. You don't yeah. know, do you? <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's really crazy. Like so much of every industry, every creative industry is like this, where it's like the people running the industry aren't people that care about art for them, for a lot of it. You know, it's like the things, I mean, it's li- the music world's literally run by a robot now. Um, <laughs> literally a robot deciding. You're talking about Daniel Ek. Cause I do believe yeah. he's like a cyborg. He's not from earth. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about his algorithms, but you know what I mean? Same thing. Yeah. He's, he counts as part of the robot, but, um, but yeah, no, it's like, it's not, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's hard. I I think I kind of have the opposite thing where like, I, I don't know what's good of my own stuff. And I, I need a lot of the time, like my bandmates or like the label or whoever to say like, Oh no, that is, that should be a single. Like there was a song that I like, was going to never put out or even put on a record and it became a single, like there's stuff like that, that I just, I, I have a hard time imagining someone else's experience of my song. Like, so it's nice. It's nice to have people that you trust who care about art that are like in the, in the music world with you. And then I really feel for people that are on like some stupid, like corporate label and are just getting told, like, don't make that song. Like that's, you know, it's, really upsetting yeah i have a friend who shall remain nameless who's on a biggie and they are constantly being pulled in multiple directions and they're confused by it and i'm just i'm like that's not how it should be heard of you know big bigger labels like 
sending their artists to like, you know, saying like scrap this album and like sending them to like pop songwriting camp or whatever. It's like, you have to, that, that kind of whole, that kind of career choice is like, you have to want to be a pop star. Like you have to want to be, you've to above all else want, you know, success. Um, and I, I think, uh, I feel really grateful to, to sub pop because they are just like totally, they could not like care less about <laughs> that. They're just like, no, just, we just want to nurture the thing that you want to make, which is like really comforting. Um, but I can't imagine like wanting to do that. I don't know. Being told to scrap an album seems really, um, upsetting to me. Yeah. I mean, fucking with the, now I'm flaking on the Motown wanted to scrap what's going on. It's like, you mother, you dumb fucks. <laughs> it's like, you wanted to scrap Marvin Gaye's greatest album. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, there, that's, that's, it's so messed up. That's why it's so important that everybody like seeks out art, like separate from just what's going to be fed to them by these like horrible corporations, you know? Yeah. And I feel, like I was get, I think that happens. Like I didn't get fed art. I somehow searched it out and had a attraction to it for lack of a better word. But so, and then I found people who f- helped feed me. You seem yeah. to be fortunate enough to come from a family that was like, I mean, it's such a, and that's what I want to do to my kids. I'm like, yes, fucking get it out there. Whatever you're feeling, put it into something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's also, it's, it's, you know, I think like it's a generational thing too. Like your kid's generation is going to really, I, I, I think, and I hope have like access to their emotions in an even deeper way and be encouraged to have that like more than even mine. (laughs) Yeah. Ideally. I, I mean, I think of my generation, which is Gen X, because I wanted to let you know I'm old. But, <laughs> but like, there was so much fear and, like, lashing out at the world for the wrong... And, like, homophobia and, like, just so many fucking things that, like, everyone was afraid to, like, show their true selves. And, I, and I'm like, that's just awful. Like, I don't want any... No one should have to live in that fear. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like all you can do for your kids is like, you know, encourage them to like not shame them when they have feelings and like hear them, make them, you know, be, be their witness and like, uh, encourage them to like make something with it. You know, I think that is the thing that my parents did really well for, for me and my brother is like, just, and I, and I don't think a lot of other kids that I knew or like, my peers I don't think this was like a generational thing I think this is like a my parents thing is viewing art as a path that you that is like legitimate um because you know I think most people want their kids wanted seemed to want their kids to get good grades go to a good college become like a doctor or a lawyer or something like that would be or work in finance like that maybe would be more the um the path of my peers. And, uh, I think having parents that had jobs in the arts was like, you know, I, I didn't know that at the time that that was like the effect it was having on me, but I was like, Oh cool. Like 
viewing that as a potential life path or as something that has value is like, you know, uh, amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I do think like culturally America, not other countries are so like fucked up about the arts. That's me being really articulate, but like, we still don't encourage it as a culture, as a society. Cause like, I was thinking about when you still were like, like, Oh, I'm sorry. Here's my dumb little song. I do the same thing. It's because our culture says, tells us don't go into the arts. That's silly. We do nothing to culture, cultivate that as a society. And it's really when other countries do, and it's like so fucked up. So people still feel like a guilt and a shame to be creative, which is like the most core fucking thing of being a human is expressing yourself. Totally. Have have you read the book, um, The Hatred of Poetry? No, but I'm going to write it down. It's so good. It's very short. It's like an essay, basically. It's it's really good. Um, and I, I haven't read it in a few years, so I'm, I'm due for a reread, and I probably shouldn't try and paraphrase it right now. But it's uh, but it's related to this thing of, like, you. every kid writes a poem, you know, every kid tries writing a poem and then and then when you're an adult and and you say I'm a poet that is like something you're supposed to be ashamed of or it's like embarrassing or it's like a childish thing to be doing you know um and I I've been thinking about this with music where it's like every kid like makes a band you know all teenagers like have a little rock band what makes me think that I'm so special that I get to have one in my late twenties? <laughs> like, and I think I deserve to do that. Like as a job, like what is, it's such a, um, it's so like entitled to think like, I just get to keep being 15 or whatever. And, um, and that's, uh, that's America's, you know, capitalism getting to me being like, you don't deserve to have fun. <laughs> yeah. Be serious. You know? Yeah. But, um, but I do think, I think it would be so cool if everyone got to have a band and, and kept thinking they got to have one. (laughs) We would be such a better culture if we cultivated expression opposed to uh, like stifling your feelings. Totally. I mean, it's so cool for your daughters to get to see that what you do is having conversations with people. Like that's such a cool thing for them to, that's such a good environment to already like be setting them up for because it's like conversations have value expressing yourself and like learning about other people is important i mean that you're already like you know you're setting them up for success right there i hope so thank you (laughs) it's interesting when you were saying i think sunny smith has a song about a guy who's like a struggling musician and like how it's romantic when he's in his 20s but then he he's still like in his 40s and like asking to bumming money and stuff and like and people are like oh this isn't cute anymore it's like 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 who fucking cares like in like it's so weird we discourage that and response like as a guy who took a secure job secure in quotes job after i had my first kid because i was like well this is the cultural voice got in my head where i'm like well this is the thing i gotta do and then like a year later i was like fucking i'm gonna i literally was like i want to die this is like death (laughs) yeah and i quit yeah but uh it's like there is but that's not secure that there's no security in that and is it secure to be miserable with every day of like sitting in a windowless office? Totally. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just thinking also as a culture, like as consumers and as particularly the like corporations that are, you know, 
like leading the the success of artists we also there's an age cutoff for the most part that your chance at success is when you're like 18 and then it it's only like gonna get <laughs> like harder the idea of it's not cute anymore to be like in your 40s and trying to be a musician and you know eating doritos on tour or whatever like it that's real but also it's because we love young as in the words of taylor swift recently everyone's a sexy baby (laughs) genius lyric from her new album (laughs) I, i haven't listened everyone is a sexy baby yeah I feel, and I can't speak because I feel like others, everyone's evolution is their own, but I feel like I didn't have a sense of who I was until my, I fucking was just a one error after another in my twenties. Like I, I was creative and I think there was a lot of raw talent, but I couldn't formulate it properly. Yeah. And I yeah, think I'm, I'm, I can't wait to be in my thirties. I'm going to get so much more self-actualized. I can't wait. I, yeah, it's weird too that I still see people like like oh I'm gonna be thirty like I'm like first of all fuck off thirty's like yeah. so young <laughs> thirty is young that's what I keep telling my friends I'm like guys we're young thirty's young we don't have to have it figured out yet it's okay things don't hurt on your bodies yet like yeah I wake up and I'm like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> I also have yeah. kids I have to carry around but uh, but I feel like. Every morning, I feel like somebody rolled me down a hill. That's how I feel. <laughs> but like, yeah, I just think that that mindset, and I'm like, and then you see people who like get the fucking lip injections, and I'm like, you know, it doesn't look right. Like, does anyone think that looks good? Everyone thinks it looks good. <laughs> so are we in the minority here? And like, every yeah, we're we're weird for not getting it. <laughs> it's so weird that like people grasp because I'm like guess guess who wins age and death you're not gonna win so why try yeah I was just talking to my friend about this yesterday about um I kind of think it's radical of me to not whiten my teeth um because my teeth are the color of normal teeth and that's what they should look like and I shouldn't be fooled by people that are all doing this other stuff to try and like have a weird you're you're making your bones a different color like <laughs> i'm just like i'm just refusing i'm there's a part of me that's like wow it would be so nice if i like liked a picture of myself one time in my life but also i'm deciding that it's radical to um to not do that stuff i don't know i agree i feel like more people need to get on board with that because I feel like we're just perpetuating. Hey, this is cause I'm like, sometimes you see those people with white teeth and you're like, it's alarming. Yeah. Oh my God. You ever watch love Island? No, my partner probably I'm, does. Oh, it's, so good. it's so good. I mean, you would know if you're, if your partner watched it because it is each season is 50 hours of material. So you would witness it, oh. but it's really good but the people on there are all like influencers and they've all got like fake everything and um they look like dolls and they all have these big fake smiles and it's shocking it is shocking and it's like you know i live in los angeles and i you see folks in like the grocery store and you're like even like it's like you're not even you're just like a person who 
I don't know, sells insurance. Like, why are you doing this? Like, you don't have to do this. Totally. And not to sound like I referenced Buddhism before, but it's like... Well, you, it's obviously just, an aspiring actor. Oh, that's... Yeah, true. You're, come on, if you're in L.A., you're not just a person who sells insurance. Yeah. And then, like, you always see the guys with the bad hair dye who, like, don't want to show that they're gray and they do it to their beard. And it never... It just... You, it's like, you look... You look like a child molester, man. It doesn't look good. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is kind of unrelated, but I just remembered a really funny thing that my old roommate said that I always think about. He was like, guys who don't have to go bald, they're not as strong as me. They're not as brave as me. <laughs> like, that's, you know what? That's, that's, it is like letting yourself age is brave and cool. And also think about all the amazing elders in your life that have guided you and, are are incredible people to be around and they're not you know they're not babies not every, not everyone has to be a baby forever it's yeah. actually cool to aspire to be like to to you know to age i think it's more important than me keeping my very good looks and that's okay Claire. i know you can say it but what's more important to me is keeping curious and like keeping myself learning because i'm like if once it's like i have friends who are in their 50s and they're like there's no good music anymore i'm like fuck off like we heard that when we were 24 and once you wow. say that you're dead and you should know better you gotta tell them about my band man <laughs> i do why do you think i do this <laughs> yeah yeah no, totally I mean, the big reason i do this is to keep myself psychologically nimble and curious and to learn mm-hmm and that's and before because I took a break from it before I brought it back I was becoming that person and I was like no totally but that yeah I have I go through phases of being ungenerous towards art and then I really get I feel so much better when I go through a phase where I'm being generous towards art and wanting to take it in and and wanting to hear what's happening in the world and not just be like, Oh, I only want to listen to this thing. I liked when I was 16 and nothing, nothing new or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. But I think breaks are good. Cause I feel like yeah. you re even like with creative cycles where you're outputting a button. Then i read a book about this years ago, but it's like you need to refuel, so to speak. And like, collect your thoughts and feelings and then you can put them back out like if you just kept putting out i think you would your head would explode totally i feel like i wonder if you're because you're really to jazz right i am boy you you've done your research (laughs) (laughs) Um, i just i just was casually listening to your podcast a lot this week but um and i had an extra week because i messed up our time last week oh that wasn't you that was sub pop yeah. Thank you. I'll, I'll blame them. I'll let them pick the blame. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, but so I had an extra week to listen to your podcast before meeting you. But, um, I wonder if like that sort of being into jazz and being into, you know, it goes hand in hand with being into, um, like spirit and like self-expression in a way that makes you more generous towards hearing something new. Um, do you know what I mean? I do. I think so. I've like, liked, I can see how that translates to liking, like, anything that's coming out or, or giving something a chance because it's, like, jazz has that sort of, like, setup of, like, it's not, uh, it, it makes you, like, as an audience, you have to, like, be 
interested in like the fluidity of someone else's like expression or like, I don't know. I agree. And as well as I think that there's a lot of listening, like, cause I, one thing, and I think this is a pitfall of a lot of guys in their early twenties is they, you know, there's, you like shit cause it's cool. And like a lot of this, and then like, and then you discredit a lot of things too. And you're like, Oh, that fucking sucks. Cause I'm cool guy. <laughs> yeah. And I had oh to, re- totally. And it's a very, I think a very male thing. And it's also a bit Chicago and a bit music snobby. No, that's totally what my thing with my older brother was like when I was a kid, it was like, I had to pretend not to like current indie rock. Because he liked it or didn't like it? No, because he didn't think it was cool. Like, he liked, like, hardcore. And it was like, if you listen to, like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of, like, a band that I secretly liked at that time, like, of Montreal or, like, something that was, like, happening that was new and experimental and, you know, maybe a little, like, I don't know, like, uncool to him in whatever way because it wasn't, like, hardcore. It was, like, I had to, like, listen to it in secret. (laughs) Um, I did. I listened to jazz in secret as a kid, especially like Big Band wow. and the Mills Brothers, because it's like my town listened to Led Zeppelin, and that was it, you know. And if you didn't like that, you were queer. Yeah, totally, totally. But like, yeah. And as I got older, I realized I had to re-listen to the stuff I discredited because I more than likely was wrong. And then some of the stuff I thought was great fucking sucks. Or it's not, that's terrible. I can't say Oh, totally. Or you loved it because it was cool to love it or something. Yeah. I mean, I can't discredit any music because I think everybody else is, everybody else is in their own journey, so to speak. So like what their references changes and my reference changed. But like, I feel like, yeah, all all you can say is like, oh, it's not for me. (laughs) Yeah. And like stuff, it's just like aggressive, angry stuff. I'm like, I just, I don't have the energy. Sorry. Like sometimes... Or there's the stuff, but like, or if something challenges me and I have to, and go, I can't discredit it. I have to actually go, all right, I have to listen to this and be able to articulate why I don't like this. Yeah. See, that's, that's a really interesting thing that I think is especially good for when it, especially is powerful when you're a kid, which is that you can make yourself, uh, you, you'll make yourself listen to something that doesn't immediately like suit you because you like want to see why your friends like it or whatever. Like I always think about my friend Joey saying he didn't like guided by voices when he first heard it, but we all loved it. And so he like made himself listen to it. And now he's like a huge guided by voices fan. He's like, I'm so glad that I like gave it the time of day or whatever. And it's the kind of thing that I just like don't do as an adult. I don't push myself to listen to something that's challenging or that I don't immediately like. I'm like, why would I, I wouldn't make myself listen to this when there's already stuff that I like. <laughs> yeah. I didn't to do that. You know, I didn't like uh soft bulletin when it came out by flaming lips. And I was just like, no. And then I somehow I kept listening to it and I was like, then I was like, Oh, this is amazing. And yeah. like a recent guest, uh, Earl, Earl, uh, what's his fuck? I can't think of his Earl, Earl Valley. Like his singing style was jarring to me. And I was like, I, like I couldn't, and he's a little weird in his videos. And then the more I listened to the album, the more I was like, Oh, there's a lot going like, so you can't, yeah. sometimes it's just your mood and you can't discredit something. on yeah, one Yeah, totally. So you have to be in the generous mood. Which yeah. makes me think a lot of record reviewers. I'm like, how many times did you listen to this? 
Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, there's, there's both like, there's, it's like positive and negative. Cause I'm thinking like, you know, there's that other thing of you become desensitized to how bad something is. Like if you hear something's like on the radio every day and you, and then you just suddenly are like, wait, why do I love, you know, this bland pop music or whatever? Um, like part of me is like, me loving pop music is a product of just hearing it over and having it drilled into you. Um, but, and maybe it's, maybe I should have left it at like, I don't like this. <laughs> um, because it's like, maybe it's rotting your brain. I don't know. But then at the same time, yeah, it is really like cool to, um, how something can open itself up to you. Like if you give your, you know, patient with it. And at the same time, it's, um, I, I have a friend that said something to me recently that was like, oh, you know, sometimes I'm embarrassed to say I like something because it sounds like I'm saying I like it to be cool. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, but I actually like it. Um, you know, like, you know, yeah. experimental like music or whatever. Um, it's such a, I'm like, it's hard to know if you actually, if some, if it's cool to like something, it's really hard to tell if you actually like it or not. <laughs> Boy, what a layered I know. period we live in of, yeah, because I there was a period where I was working in a bar and a bunch of very young, like 21, 22-year-olds, and they were listening to, like, uh, Jimmy Buffett. Like, they would put this stuff on the jukebox. Like, all shit. They're, and I was like, first, I was just like, first of all, I'm like, I Jimmy Buffett's not for me. That's the way I'll say it. <laughs> and, like, stuff, and, like, the whole Yacht Rock movement, I'm just like, okay, like, how many times is br- the song Brandy going to be charming and f- hilarious? Oh, I like- love Brandy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. I love that song. And that's, and, like, there's songs like that for me, too, and I think, you know, it's the same, ex- it's all our experience. But what yeah. baffled me is, like, don't y'all have music that you want for your own? Like this is your dad's yeah. music or your, for some of them, maybe their grandfather. I don't know. Yeah. But I was like, That's fine. it just seemed weird. And they was like, it was kind of a rebellious thing. And I was like, don't you have anybody who's going to like vomit on stage? Do you listen to any of those people? <laughs> so funny. I mean, it's so like just has to do with context, right? It's like, maybe you are averse to Yacht Rock because you think it like says something about, you know, you as like being a dad or, you know, being into this kind of music or whatever, it's not rebellious enough, but to them it's rebellious. Like the fact that that's such a different they have the context of it is so, so funny. I mean, it's like, apparently all these young people love Steely Dan now is what I just heard. I, I can't, I, I'll, I'll, you know, like I know they're great musicians and it's well-produced and they played on a lot of like whatever, I can't, it just seems, all I can see when I listen to Steely Dan is like a dude in a convertible having a midlife crisis with a sex worker doing coke. Like that's all like, that's how, that's what that evokes for me. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, it doesn't evoke that for, for the whole new generation of listeners apparently. It feels very empty to me. Like it just seems so sterile and produced. Like I'm like, yeah, it's great. Like there's technically it's great, but I'm like, I feel nothing. It's cocaine. Yeah. It is cocaine. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about Steely Dan? Um, I've never, I've never tried cocaine. Um, so I don't know. <laughs> Good. Don't. But, um, <laughs> but it, uh, I, I love some Steely Dan songs personally. Um, but 
no, I never had like a super, uh, like deep Steely Dan phase or anything, but I, I like it. Um, you know, I like, uh, I like good guitar stuff. So I, I like, you know, there was a period of time where, where I was really into, um, the guitar, like the double guitar solo and reeling in the years was kind of like, you know, a band that I was in at one point, we were very, uh, focused on learning that solo. <laughs> okay. I <laughs> can see that. Um, but, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. I think, I think it just has to hit you at the right time. I mean, I can't like, I associate the song peg with my brother being really annoying and singing it like at me for like a 24 hour period. And so I just like, can't like peg, <laughs> you know, I, I just hear my brother being like, like screaming it. <laughs> I think that's what like it is. Mood. Yeah. What a lot of the yacht rock stuff for me is, I, I think it takes me back to my family car, my dad being angry or whatever, like arguing. And like, so I think like inevitably the subconscious of that takes me back to yeah. my angry dad. And it makes I mean, me feel kind of that feeling that I felt like small in the back seat. <laughs> totally. It's so funny. My, um, my boyfriend hated the Beatles for a really long time because his dad played it on the way to school and he hated going to school. And so he associated with getting in the car, with his dad and going to school. And he just hated the Beatles. He would like fume if somebody started talking about the Beatles. And, um, about a year ago he watched, he read like here, there and everywhere. Like one of those books that's like about the Beatles production. And then he watched the Beatles documentary and now he loves the Beatles. It was like, it, you know, he's, it's Isn't 15 it years after the fact. It's so interesting. It's all about context. It's like, maybe you reach a certain context in your life where suddenly it doesn't, you don't associate it with like being in the car with your dad anymore. The beach boys, because the beach boys as a kid weren't, weren't cool, even as a kid. Mm-hmm. And That's all their funny. songs were in commercials. So it was like, oh. I just was like, oh, the Beach Boys, Sun-Kissed Oranges. Like, so it seemed like this fucking, but then I was like, okay, everybody you love loves the Beach Boys. So yeah. I had to go back. And then once I like, and you know, the complexity of the, all of, like all of it, it's just so like, it's, and it was like mostly just him. So it's even more amazing. Yeah. And now I'm like, yeah, the fucking Beach Boys. like when you're a kid and you hear songs you're not as aware I think or I wasn't as aware of like the production element of a song um like I would I don't think I noticed like harmonies or bass parts or that kind of thing if I was listening to music and then now it's like you hear like so you might just hear a Beach Boys song and you know just think of like the hook or whatever and associate it with a commercial but then you can come to it later and and hear all those elements be like oh this production is like unreal you know um or interesting in this way to me or whatever thank you very much for listening to this episode of conversations with Dwyer please remember there's a part two the link to it is in the show notes as well as the climate emergency fund please donate to the climate emergency fund buy the album it's an incredible album all kinds of great artists on there deer hoof mud honey fake fruit a lot of people who've been on the podcast quite frankly the only one who hasn't been on the podcast is moby everybody else has been on or will soon be on the podcast maybe i i can get moby i would his song on the album is really great and uh, he put a lot of thought into it 
he kept asking me questions about the album, and, t- and then he gave me a song. Okay, buy the album. Go buy Frankie Cosmo's album. Listen to part two. Thank you for listening. <laughs>